This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Back at it again here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback here, Jake Heaps. On 710 ESPN Seattle. What's going on, everybody? Hope you've had a great day. Hope you're going to have a great night with us for the next two hours. Got some good conversation for you. Absolutely. Lots to get to on this Thursday night. Shout out to you for stopping by. The Coors Light text line, it's always there for you, just like we are. 710-710, that is the number to text. If you want to join in on the conversation at any point in time tonight, that's where you want to go. Uh, also, download the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Scroll down. You'll see our logo there. I mean, uh, you'll see our picture. Eventually, eventually right? Yeah. We, we, took, took, we took a sweet, we took a sweet we picture did. at the VMAC. We and got I'm gussied waiting. up. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that to get posted. We look sweet. Absolutely. To the nines. But, uh, yeah, we've got a lot to get to tonight. But, uh, Jake, I want to tell you about a story early on today. Oh, Yeah. This morning, it's always I was, I was, stories always good. Yeah, so I was getting my windshield repaired, uh, getting a rock chip fixed out of it, and uh, what is it, Safe Light? Yeah, they came to my my door, mm-hmm. and the guy who fixed my windshield, he asked me a, a question before he did anything. Really? Okay. Well, he goes. I see your name's Curtis Rogers here. Are you the Curtis Rogers? Oh, Which, yes. That's, that's a little... That, you I got mean, the yeah. Curtis Rogers. Yeah. Yes. And, and he then goes on to tell me that he's a huge fan of Seattle Sports at Night, which, I mean, shout out to the like six fans we have, the, the most the most loyal <laughs> that we have. So I met one of the six. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. So was, that, was that your first fandom moment right there? It, it it was definitely the most recent. I've had a, a couple, which is really weird. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. But uh, shout out, shout out! I believe it was Ryan from Safe Light. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Thanks did, for listening, a, Ryan. We appreciate did you. Did a stand-up job fixing my windshield this morning. So that's why That's you. why your chest was all puffed up when you walked in today. I did, yeah. I mean, I was just like, hey, <laughs> hey Jake, uh, you're not the most famous one on these airways. Just a whole different swagger from Curtis Rogers. <laughs> okay, I see you. Uh, we got the 206 checking in on the Coors Light text line reporting for duty. Shout out to you, the Seattle Sports Tonight Army, in full effect every single night here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Jake, I don't think we should waste any more time. I no. think we should get into what is on Thursday night's timeline. And the Seahawks, they have resumed OTAs today. This one is closed to the media, so none of us know what's going on. We're shrouded in mystery. We know as much as you know. I don't like it. I, I don't know. like it. I, I'm, I I'm shaking. I had the opportunity to go last week at OTAs. I loved it. I hated it all at the same time because I wish I was out there. But, man, it was so much fun to just watch everybody, watch all the new faces, watch the competition that was going on out there. And hopefully during this time, during these 10 practices, you are seeing this team grow and emerge. And you've got new faces stepping up, coaching staffs, getting to see what this group can ultimately do. And on the offensive side of the ball, is that chemistry developing, especially for Russell Wilson and these tight ends and receivers and running backs, that those are the big things that you want to try and get out of these next 10 practices through the month of June. With no Doug Baldwin in, in town anymore, I mean, that is probably the most important thing for the Seahawks, at least offensively, is to develop, is to develop that rapport between quarterback and receivers. Tyler Lockett, clearly the most veteran guy, at least in the Seahawks system. You've got Jerron Brown. 
as well. Two veterans, but beyond those guys, a lot of inexperience. So hopefully those guys can get a lot of reps with Russ and, and build up that confidence, not just in themselves, but also in that confidence from Russ to look their way. Without a doubt. And be a safety blanket. That's the key. If you, wanna, if you want footballs in the National Football League, you've got to develop that relationship with your quarterback and your franchise quarterback and Russell Wilson. And one of the things that was really encouraging for me to see at the end of practice was you saw DK Metcalf and, and others receivers, young receivers, staying late after practice, being the last ones to come off the field with Russell. That's what you have to do. And so hope that continues to keep developing. And from everything that we've heard from this coaching staff, from the head coach on down, that they love this rookie class. And so continuing to stack up on the young, talented players, and hopefully they can plug and play and make a big impact for this group. Speaking of the rookie class, DK Metcalf, he signed his rookie contract on Wednesday, leaving Cody Barton as the only Seahawks rookie who remains unsigned at this point of the offseason. Just who I imagined would be in a contract dispute with the Seahawks. Cody Barton. <laughs> you know him. That's right. Uh, We're talking about Diva. Bobby Wagner. No, Cody Barton. Yeah. That's right. I think with this, uh, it's an interesting situation with third-rounders. Yeah. What right? is it with third-rounders well, as they remain unsigned? Right. The thing is is that there is a normal slot, right, uh, for first, second, third-rounders, and even on down past that. But when you talk about middle third-rounders, there is some wiggle room in their contracts for guaranteed money, uh, and that's why you typically see those third-rounders, especially the middle third-rounders, take a while to get their deal signed because their agents are trying to get the most guaranteed money possible uh, because once you get to the top of the third round, they're pretty slotted and they're, and they're higher guarantees. Get to the middle, there's more leeway, and then after that, there's lower. So Cody Barton is in the middle, and you know that's just an agent trying to do his job, trying to get the most that he can. And really, we're talking about... You know, uh, you know, fifty, Let contract 50 grand, a hundred grand. I mean, it's not earth shattering, but to the player, it, it makes a difference. Absolutely. So, uh, Cody Barton, the only Seahawks rookie who remains unsigned to this point, uh, I would imagine that gets done in the coming days. I can't see yeah. that lingering into training camp or anything like that. Uh, the Mariners, they mercifully have the day off today. I mean, they've dropped twenty-seven <laughs> of thirty-seven. They start a three-game series against the red-hot Oakland A's on Friday. The A's have won six in a row. Jake, when will this? When will the bleeding end? When Man. will the rations improve? Here's the thing. I, I don't know if they will, Curtis. And the thing is, is we have loved watching this team from the beginning of the season, the dingers, the the strong hot bats that they have dingers are are awesome man it's fun and they still have that but ultimately what brings this team down is they don't have the pitching they don't have the defense and that's what makes this so hard to watch if they were losing games Curtis look we knew that this was going to be a step back year we ultimately got caught up in the moment and thought maybe just maybe it could be different maybe they walked themselves into something that, of course, the Mariners would do, find a way to do. When they're trying to go back, they, they end up being making it into the playoffs. But reality has set in. They are definitely a team that's taking a step back. They haven't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. They're still working that out. And it's just really hard to watch when you see routine plays being made over and over again with errors. How is the ball hitting your glove and popping out? It just... Small little mistakes like that should never happen in the big leagues, and they're going through a lot of growing pains, and hopefully they can identify the key pieces 
that's going to build and take this franchise to where they want to be. Speaking of those key pieces, we will get into that coming up around 8.15 tonight. We know the Mariners will be active around the trade deadline, but are the most obvious names the ones who will be dealt on July 31st? We get into that in the second hour tonight. I believe it was Eric O'Flaherty, former Mariners reliever, former Atlanta Brave, who was on with Brock and Salk yesterday, who made the point that the 13-2 and start may have been the worst thing for this team because it got a lot of people's hopes up. It got the fan base's hopes up. Yep. I mean, 13-2 and is no joke. You don't get there by accident. Like You, you get off to that start because you're playing great baseball. And... For the fan base to see something like that the first two weeks of the season and then it be so completely opposite of what it was right. or what it is right now, it's hard to come to grips with like, oh, maybe this team is well, not going to be anywhere close to contention. And especially to get swept by the Texas Rangers. Yeah. I mean, they had no business getting getting it handed it to them from that franchise right now. Uh, that that's the part that's really hard to watch. And so you have a team that's not only taking a step back, but that is severely underperforming. And and so that's the part where frustration sets in as a fan base and little mistakes, like I said, it makes it really hard to watch as a fan. And un- unfortunately, this is this to me, this is who the true Mariners are for the 2019 season. So let's buckle up and let's keep an eye on the pieces that hopefully are continuing to develop, and we're rooting for those guys. Yeah, because we still got four months left of this regular season. Woo! Yes, May. we do. Uh, some local news. The Soto Arena Group, which haven't heard a lot from them in recent years, well, they got together and met with the Seattle NAACP chapter on May 15th. This was reported yesterday to discuss objectives for Soto and for the land that the arena group has purchased. I just I don't feel like this is news. I mean, it's nice that they still want to keep this dream alive and they still want to keep the possibility of another arena being built in Seattle uh, a, a possibility, but yeah. I just don't think they have any kind of support with the city council, at least enough support. Right. They had four votes, what was it, a couple of years ago when the street vacation was put up for a vote, but I just I don't know if this is ever going to be enough for Chris Hansen and his group. Right. It's interesting to see that they're continuing to try and that they have not given up on this. To me, that's encouraging. Uh, ultimately, when I look at the, the two plans, I think that it's great uh, that we have NHL coming to Seattle. But when you look at the long-term thing, uh, long-term aspect of this, Key Arena is not going to be the ideal place to host NBA basketball. The, no. That area downtown is brutal with traffic. I don't care what anybody says. It is absolutely brutal, and there's zero way that you're going to be able to alleviate that. So Soto, from that aspect, makes a lot of sense. And if you had two arenas, NHL and basketball, I think that that is the ideal move. Uh, but like you said, I don't know if meeting with the NAACP is going to give this group enough juice moving forward to make great headway to ultimately get a, an approval on that vote. On, on Occidental Avenue, so uh, I love that they're trying. Let's see if we can get it, keep getting momentum building for this. But I don't know. I, I just think that they're always going to end up coming short. Unfortunately, it never hurts to try. That's never right. hurts right. to try. Uh, and then some more college basketball news. Yesterday we talked a lot about the Huskies and and their commitment with Jaden McDaniels. Well, this is a different kind of basketball news. That Michigan they have hired a new head basketball coach, 
And it's Jawan Howard, yeah, a member of the Fab Five, who is one of the most well-known Michigan alums in that program's history. It's interesting that we've seen this wave of college basketball head coaches get hired without head coaching experience, and they've had varying degrees of success at the college level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penny Hardaway right now bringing in, I think, the number one recruiting class this season at Memphis, which was his alma mater. It's the shoes, man. Yeah. The, it's the, the Hardaways. Posits. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and then you've got, <laughs> uh, what is it? you got Chris Mullen at St. John's who ended up getting fired. You had you, Patrick Ewing's at Georgetown right now. Crazy. So you see all these guys get hired. I, I'm interested, though, in why Michigan – wasn't a more sought-after job because they were in the national championship game two seasons ago. Right. They've been to the national championship game twice within, what, the last decade. They've got a lot of history, but, you know, I'm pumped to see Jawan Howard out there. I'm more pumped to see, like, Fab Five reunions, which have been (laughs) few and far between. Right. You know that's going to happen now with Jawan Howard as the head coach. There's without a doubt. I I think for him, he's got the pedigree to ultimately – turn that thing around and get it to where it needs to be. I mean, when you talk about uh, brand recognition, name, uh, you know, opportunities to play at a high level in college basketball and have a long NBA career and has been in the NBA uh, from the standpoint uh, as a coach uh, for numerous years now, uh, he, he's got an opportunity to be successful. But it's always a hit or miss with me, Curtis, on those. It just seems to be hit or miss. Can you run an or Can you run a program? Can you have enough discipline in that program? Can you get actual legitimate buy-in? And can you be great in strategy situations at the end of games? Those are the crunch times as a, as a basketball coach in college basketball. Um, and, and it's going to be fun to watch Jawan Howard at Michigan and see if he can pull it off. Absolutely. Coors Light text line, a lot of people checking in. 253 says, I'm one of your six. And then the 206 says, hey, now, it's more than six, unless I'm one of the six. And then the another two hundred six number says I'm number seven on the squad. Mike from Tacoma, keep up the great show, guys. Well, we got you know an hour and forty five minutes left to change your mind on that, Mike. Keep, keep checking yeah. in, man. Squad <laughs> assemble. Yeah. Here we are, right here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. But coming up next, Danny David Moore. They talked about this a lot today. We want to hear from you on the Coors Light text line. What one rule change would you like to make in the NFL? One rule change above them all. The league's not perfect. There's a lot to pick from. We give ours. We want to hear from you as well. That's next. Curtis Rogers, the quarterback, Jay Keeps on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jay Keeps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back. Curtis Rogers and Jay Keeps here with you until 9 o'clock on Seattle Sports at Night tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Last night we talked about uh, Mike Clay, ESPN fantasy football writer, and his projections for the Seahawks and how he thought they were going to finish 6-10. and 10. Yep. Uh, coming up in about 10 minutes from now, we're going to tell you why the Seahawks say the numbers, or why the numbers say the Seahawks will underperform and why that is wrong. That's what we're going to do coming up in 10 minutes from now. By the way, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealer. Coming up at the end of this hour, 745, we will answer four football questions in four down territory. But uh, Peter King of M- NBC Sports, he came out this week with his weekly column. And in it, he interviewed 25 different people across the NFL, whether it be players, executives, coaches, analysts, NFL network hosts, mm-hmm. just a wider range of people 
to get their take on what rules need to be changed in the NFL. And uh, we got a couple of texts coming in on the Coors Light text line from the 206 NFL postseason overtime rules. Now, that's that's a real good candidate there, 206. Yeah. Because we saw with the Chiefs and Patriots where the Patriots, they got the ball, marched down the field, and Kansas City didn't have an opportunity to even have a possession. Um, Jake, you being a former player, knowing this rule book and, and back and forth, and always having to go over these rules year in and year out. When you look at the current state of the NFL, which rule would you change just without hesitation? There's so many rules, honestly, when you look at it, that uh, are great candidates to be changed. I think the overtime rule is a great opportunity to change that. I think it would draw a lot of interest, more intrigue into the game. Uh, and kind of stop making it an anticlimactic moment uh, in overtime. Uh, I, the other the other thing is I loved what the AAF did in terms of reviews, making the uh, replay officials, having them mic'd up and talking through it and educating. You, you can learn a little bit more uh, from what their perspective is as they're reviewing plays so you can have a better understanding as to um, – what they, why they're making the calls that they're making. Uh, the one that really I think would be a great move uh, is making the onside kick a real play again. And they, what, what I mean by that is I think the rule proposal of instead of doing an onside kick, which now with the new rule changes, they've completely neutered that play from there really ever being a possibility of that play being effective to making it a fourth and 15 offensive play on your own 20-yard line. I think that would be a really exciting play that would add a ton of intrigue um, to the game, add a lot more drama at the end, and now you've got a higher percent of chance for your offense to be able to convert. It's still low. It's still a very low percentage, but now it actually becomes a play that you have a lot more attention and eyes on in a critical moment in the game. You bring up the onside kicks, which can swing momentum in a game maybe more than any kind of play in the game of football. And we've seen it in big-time moments. Obviously, the 2014 NFC Championship game, uh, or the one against the Packers, mm-hmm. uh, where Stephen Hauschka kicks it. It goes through the hands of Brandon Bostick. Chris Matthews recovers. Seahawks don't go to the Super Bowl without that onside kick recovery. We saw it in the Super Bowl between the Saints and Colts. Saints come out of the locker room at halftime, set to kick off, and they do a surprise onside kick and they recover. You know how many onside kicks were recovered in the 2019 season? How many? Four. Yep. Four onside kicks over the hundreds of games that were played. Four times it was successful. Yeah, it's it's a non-play now. It's completely it's completely pointless. And and that's my point is now you again the odds are very low. You give them a chance to really go out there, and it's it's one more play that you get to watch your star players give one more opportunity to make a play, whether that's offense or defense. Your star defensive back to make a disruptive play or a pick. Your your edge rusher that you're paying millions of dollars for, an opportunity to go get the quarterback. Your quarterback to make a play. I, those are the things that you want to watch. That's why people are paying uh, big-time money to watch uh, your games. That's why you're getting all the revenue stream that you are as the NFL. So I, I think that that's a really fun 
rule change that that would be great. Another one that I I believe would be great for the NFL and the health of the NFL is to increase the roster size um, it, from keeping it at 53 to maybe increasing it to 63, 65. You got an additional practice squad players. The depth that you have is, is very small in the NFL. And also being able to retain some of the players that you want, uh, you just simply can't do. There's not there's not enough room. And you've got a lot of bubble guys on your roster that you want to keep that you just simply can't. And there is plenty of revenue out there. And, and one of the big trends that have come up, and it's directly affected me, it's directly affected uh, the quarterback position overall, is that having three quarterbacks on a roster is becoming obsolete. The Seahawks, the Patriots, they have gone without having three quarterbacks on their roster for a long, long time. And that's a ultimate detriment to the building block of developing quarterbacks overall. So I would love to see that. That would affect that. And it would also allow you to increase your depth uh, on your rosters and be able to keep some of your players healthier um, because now you don't have as many guys having to go both ways in terms of playing defense and special teams. Not offense, defense, but having to have so many guys that play both offense, defense, uh, one side of the ball and play special teams. Some more texts coming in on the Coors Light text line right now. 206 says pass interference review. They want that to be revealable. Obviously, the NFC Championship still fresh in so many football fans' minds. And I, I think that was the moment the NFL needed to really look at itself and say, okay, we probably need to fix this. Mm-hmm. Because it happened in the biggest moment of one of the biggest games of the entire season, it, it, it changed the outcome of that game. Without a doubt. The, the safe falls that you had in that game as well was that New York was supposed to have the ability to call in and say, hey, we are going to review this play, we're going to overturn it, and that, that failed. So there was a systematic error, not just a uh, uh, human error on the field with uh, three referees looking directly at the uh, infraction. But New York also, the, the NFL offices, failed in uh, changing that play, changing that call. So they have to put in better systems in place to make sure that a play like that never happens again. Because now you're you're robbing a city, a franchise, an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. I think I'm with the 206 on that. I think pass interference review is something that's needed, which goes against what Pete Carroll said this week in that same column written by Peter King where he said he would limit or get rid of instant replay entirely, mm-hmm. which I think is the wrong thing to do because you're allowing for more mistakes like that to happen. And as a fan of the NFL, I want to see calls get right, whether that be through instant replay or whether that be just naturally, organically. Mm-hmm. I want to see more calls be made right than wrong. Yep. And right. and for the NFL to just kind of sit back and let what happened in the NFC title game happen, like that was just kind of a slap in the face to a lot of fans out there. I think the only people who were satisfied with that were LA Rams fans, <laughs> right. which as we've come to find out, there aren't many of them. And like <laughs> you're you're trying to satisfy a, a really tiny fan base out there, a fan base that doesn't but a huge media market. Exactly. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting thing. Um, from the four two five, all hits allowed. Wow, that's that's a little much. Well, here's the thing: it, it, 
when you're a purist of the sport and watching how football was played 20 years ago, yeah, do you miss some of those big bone-crushing hits? Yeah, of the course. The up segment on ESPN. Yeah, seeing the Brian Dawkins of the world coming down, John Lynch coming down and just pulverizing guys. Yeah, you miss some of that. But if you were to ask, if you were to change those rules and let the NFL players uh, go back to those rules, no one's going to want to. I think the players have totally embraced and have accepted those rule changes, although sometimes it's difficult uh, when you have to figure out where the strike zone is. I believe that the players have adapted and have come to appreciate it because of the information that has come out uh, about potential brain damage and and what CTE, how prevalent that is. So they're trying to make the game safer. Uh, I believe sometimes I'm, I'm with you, 425, that at times it can take away from what the game is supposed to be. But ultimately, I believe it's heading in the right direction and, and, and going backwards would be the wrong move. Keep texting in your rule change suggestions on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. But coming up next, why do the numbers say the Seahawks will underperform in 2019? And why is that wrong? Well, Jake's going to tell us why next coming up right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps with you on 710 ESPN Seattle. Jake, we were talking during the break, and you brought up how when you were playing for the Seahawks, Referees would come to the Seahawks headquarters every offseason <laughs> to go over rule changes with the players and with the coaching staff. And, yeah. and uh, there was one player in particular, and I don't think this is going to come as a shock to anybody, oh, yeah. that felt very strongly the- about these rule changes and, and just anything that was different than what had been the norm. Yeah, lived for these moments. And that player when I was in Seattle was Richard Sherman. And so <laughs> when you have these these rule changes, the NFL referees uh, come into every organization to talk to the players and explain, hey, here are the new rule changes. They go through a PowerPoint slide. They show you plays of what what was illegal from last year, what's a an appropriate play you know, uh, moving forward. You know, trying to talk you through it, and then they at the end they have Q and A questions, um, and Richard Sherman would just be dialed up uh, for for that opportunity to talk to the referees, and it would get heated, and it was almost like the refs were like, "Hey, dude, like back off. We are we are just enforcing the rules. We're not the ones that are making these up." Uh, it, it got pretty intense, and it was really funny. And a couple times, Sherman would absolutely have these guys spun around and would back them into corners on certain things and would make very, very valid arguments. It wasn't just him yelling and saying how stupid these rules are, but coming up with very, very uh, intelligent arguments uh, for different things and asking different ser- scenarios of, okay, well, why is this right and this wrong? And Man, it was so funny to just sit back and listen to Sherm. It was like, watch him go to work. Get him, Sherm, get him! <laughs> It was, oh man, it was so funny. Meanwhile, you got those referees who are there. Just, they're the messenger. They're not the ones who made these rule changes. Absolutely. They're just trying to pass along the, the ruling that comes down from the league office. And they're Correct. like, look, I mean. They're trying to get in and out, man. Yeah. They, they're obligated to be there by the NFL. They want to make their 20-minute presentation and get the heck out of there. Instead, Sherm's got them there for an extra 20 
for you know, so they're there for forty minutes, and the rest of the players are just sitting there, just sitting back and grabbing some popcorn and letting them go to town. It was oh, it man. was entertainment at its finest. Uh, text from the three six zero with another rule change coming in. They say, how about having referees under the age of sixty five years old? These old guys can't keep up with the pace of game. Oh come on! And, and maybe this makes me an ageist and. I, I don't want to come off that way, but I yeah. 1,000% agree with the 360 right there. <laughs> you cannot have guys who who just are going to be a liability out there when right. it comes to like eyesight or just quick lateral movements out on the field trying to yes. get out of the way of plays. Like, Yeah, absolutely do it. When you've got these machine-built people just trying to go as hard as they can, and then you've got like – you know, 160 pound referees out there who moonlight as lawyers and moonlight as they have other jobs outside of this. Right. And, and so like, like, yes, absolutely get referees out there that are in better shape mentally and, and maybe even physically as well. That's what <laughs> now, I got to say. Hey, look, I, I, w- I don't disagree with you. I'll say that. Okay. Well, uh, one thing we did disagree with last night, Mike Clay of ESPN fantasy football, uh, he's come out with his team projections this season based off of his calculations that he's made in his database. And last night, he well, it wasn't last night that he came out with his projection on the Seahawks. It was a couple days ago, but we talked about it in Big If True, and he had the Seahawks finishing at 6-10. and 10. And last night, we just ripped on him just because, and how outlandish of a projection that was. But now tonight we want to get into why his numbers said that the Seahawks were going to finish 6-10. and 10, Right. And why that kind of projection is ultimately going to be wrong with this team. Jake, you were fired up about this coming into work tonight. Mm-hmm. When you look at why these projections would spit out a number like 6-10, and 10, and 0-8 and on the road is also what that was what it said. Why did the numbers come out that way? Yeah, I think we got fired up last night as we were talking about this, just with the fact that when you when you come from the analytics community, you put out projections like this, and then there's very little accountability afterwards saying that, oops, I was wrong. It was more, hey, this is what the data is showing me. This is exactly how I feel. And almost the, the blind arrogance that they have standing by their predict predictions because the analytics point them to this and that uh, is sometimes very frustrating and mind-blowing but when you look at it moving when you kind of sit back and think about it how do how does the data get you there and it's very simple with this group with this team there is still so much unproven on this roster when you look at guys playing in the secondary your receiver group especially with Doug Baldwin being out of the picture who do you have to legitimately replace Doug Baldwin you can say David Moore is going to take a step up, but there is little data that shows that David Moore can do absolutely just that. Jaron Brown, he had, before he came to the Seahawks, he had a 900-yard season. But outside of that, it's not like uh, in baseball where you, you know, it's said multiple times in baseball, you can turn a guy's uh, a baseball card around and know exactly what you're going to get. He's pretty much going to be around that batting average, those numbers on defense. And for a pitcher, his ERA, it's going to be pretty close to those numbers. For football, that's not that's not even close to the case. Very fluctuating. Yes, it fluctuates all the time. And and so uh, with this group, that's kind of where you're at. Is if you really look at this, the defensive line, where are your sacks coming from? 
because you look at it right now, and Ziggy Ansah hopefully can come back and, and get healthy, but Jaron Reed is your uh, leading sack guy, and coming into that year, he was known as a run defender, not necessarily for his pass rush. So that was something that stood out uh, and was a nice surprise for everyone going forward in 2018. 2019, can he replicate that? Cassius Marsh, outside of Ziggy Ansah, is your leading sack guy, and his last his best season last year was five and a half sacks. Can he increase that? Maybe. Is he probably going to be around that mark of five and a half? Yeah, I think he will be. I think he's been pretty consistent around that number. So overall, there is a lot of missing production from this team, and you are really banking on this group to develop. You're banking on your coaching staff from Pete Carroll on down to develop and have these guys like the Jacob Martins, the Rasheem Greens, Puna Ford uh, to really step their game up. Shaq Griffin, after a down year last year in year two, can he recover in year three? Can Trey Flowers ultimately continue to grow his game? Uh, can, can Marquise Blair plug and play? The reason why the Seahawks are not going to go 6-10 and 10, like Mike Clay projected is because the analytics cannot account for the fact that you have key star players that make everyone around them better. You have Russell Wilson, who is going to make everyone around him better. He's going to help his receiving core get better, that young, talented group uh, and unproven players. That offensive line is about as good as it gets. If they can stay healthy, if Mike Upati and DJ Fluker can stay healthy, this is a bad, bad group of dudes. Dwayne bad Brown. meaning good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Dwayne Brown, Justin Britt, uh, Jermaine Effetti, those guys are physical at the point of attack. Uh, I'm really excited about what they have there. Tyler Lockett is a, is a dynamic player. And on the defensive side of the ball, you have Bobby Wagner, Bradley McDougald, Jaron Reed, and hopefully Ziggy Ansah can come back. K.J. Wright, Michael Kendricks, you have guys that will make everyone around them better. And, oh, by the way, you have one of the best developmental programs in the NFL. So those are the things that the analytics don't tell you that can't account for it. And we doubted this group last year for the same reasons, and they were able to exceed expectations. And I believe that this program is going to continue to develop. They've got the right uh, pieces in place. They just need to get the production, the supporting cast, to step their game up. I get a sense that these kinds of projections are going to come out about the Seahawks, regardless of what the talent level is like around Russell Wilson, just because the Seahawks are so unconventional in how they go about piecing the roster together. Right. And they're they're unconventional even a decade into this, mm-hmm. which you'd think how they had so much success early on in 2012 through about 2016, you'd think the NFL would have caught up and maybe sort of mimicked how a team gets built the way the Seahawks did, the way they look at players, the way the measurables line up, and, and all these things. And yet, that didn't necessarily become what the NFL became, where, yeah, the the Seahawks and how they were able to build a, a great defense with a quarterback on his rookie deal, the Rams were able to replicate that a year ago, and the Eagles were also able to replicate that two seasons ago. Correct. But you don't see teams just throwing caution to the wind when drafting players and going against what the Mel Kuypers and Todd McShays of the world have to say and sticking to their philosophies and sticking to what they think is going to make the best player. And that's what the Seahawks have done. And they've produced the best years in this franchise's history Mm -hmm. 
it's really hard to go against 10 years of sustained success to say that, oh, this is the year it's going to drop out because there is no, you know, there's no guys like Earl Thomas, Frank Clark. Yeah. Yep. Frank Clark and all those guys. That's, that's a part of it that is, you know, fascinating to me. And you, you look at the way that this roster is shaped. They have particular needs. And like you said, this isn't a sexy team. This isn't a sexy group with a high-flying offense like the, like the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes who are just going to throw it all over the yard. They have a much different approach uh, than, than around the league. And they, they have a certain style to how they play. They play old-school style of football. And with the Seahawks, particularly what we know is that DBs, for example, they're not going to take a DB uh, unless he's got 32-inch arms or, or longer. Uh, that's just a standard for them. This is about team fit, scheme fit, and that's the same way that Bill Belichick goes. They look at, they look at um, production, they look at size, speed, and ultimately their backstory. That is what the Seahawks are known for, finding guys that fit uh, the style of personality that they want. What have they gone through? They want to find guys with tremendous grit that have overcome a ton of adversity in their life because usually those are the guys that are going to be able to scrap and claw and find their way no matter what in the NFL, and those are the guys you want on your roster. Coming up next in four down territory, my man Jake here, not in love with the energy he saw during the very first open OTA practice from the Seahawks. So what does he attribute that lack of energy to? He answers that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. Digging deep, that's what we do here on Seattle Sports at Night. At the end of the first hour, it's our last opportunity to get seven on the board before heading into halftime. Coming up at 8 o'clock, what makes OTAs different than minicamp or training camp? Luckily, we've got somebody here who can answer that question. It's me. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> of course. Yeah, in my playing days. Uh, but right now, it's time for another edition of Four Down Territory. Number one. Jake Heaps, the quarterback guru, in here tonight on Seattle Sports Night. Jake, there's some forgotten Seahawks out there. Guys who have been on the roster within the last year that when you hear their name, it's kind of like, Oh, yeah, that guy is a Seahawk. What, whatever <laughs> happened to him? So I want to know from you, which forgotten Seahawk has a better shot at contributing in 2019, CJ Proceis mm. or Amara Darbo? Gosh, that is such a hard question, Curtis. <laughs> like, that is one of the hardest ones you've come up with here. <laughs> the guy that I see out of those two having the best shot to contribute to the Seahawks is CJ Proceis. His talent is undeniable. That is why he has lasted on this roster for as long as he had. If you, if it was most players in his particular situation with his given injury history and lack of production, they would be out of here. But CJ Procise brings a very unique trait to this group. He can run within the tackles. He can go out wide and be a legitimate receiving option for you. He is a mismatch nightmare when healthy and can play on the field. The problem is the guy has never been able to stay healthy. And he had, when he was, he had some great flashing moments that showed that he could be a dynamic difference maker on this offense. Just simply couldn't get there. Now, Amara Darbo has less competition in his way, meaning that it is wide open. The running back group, you've got a tough, you've got a tough slate in front of you. Rashad Penny, 
Chris Carson, Travis Homer, who's a very, very good football player. Uh, that is a, a very competitive group. Whereas the receiver, receiver spot, you've got a lot of guys competing, but again, wide open. I just don't see Amara Darbo at the end of the day making this roster and making the 53. Maybe a practice squad player, but I just I, I don't see it happening. Number two. Second down, Jake. The Seahawks, they spent a lot of draft capital this last draft on replacing Doug Baldwin using three picks on wide receivers, DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, and John Ursua. But did they also do the same when it comes to Bobby Wagner? Yeah, it's a good question. They they drafted two linebackers, and honestly, it was something that was a, was a shock because you didn't even know if they were going to draft one linebacker. And Dave Wyman has been advocating for this for numerous years because of the lack of depth behind KJ and Bobby Wagner. And so I look at this more as an opportunity to replace KJ Wright and Michael Kendricks in the long-term future because you just simply don't know what their health is going to be, what their standing is going to be. Michael Kendricks, if he has a great year after this year, he's going to probably be too expensive for the Seahawks to be able to retain him. So they have to have an opportunity to um, uh, replace that moving forward. And Cody Barton and Ben Burkirvan fit exactly what you would want at that will linebacker position. Bobby Wagner is not going anywhere, guys. He's not going anywhere. He's going to get signed to a long-term deal. He's going to get paid. He's going to get his. So this is more. This more has to do with the will linebacker position and not replacing Bobby Wagner. Number three, third down to you, Jake. Gerald McCoy is now going to be visiting teams across the NFL for his services. Unfortunately, the Seahawks are not listed among his earliest suitors. So with that in mind, if they do not land McCoy, are the Seahawks done? With this second wave of free agency? I believe so. Gerald McCoy is kind of the last guy that really intrigued me to bring on and really become a key factor for this team. Outside of that, you may have a couple swaps in terms of your roster, final pieces here and there to try and create competition. But this is the last legitimate veteran free agent that's out there that could contribute in a massive way to your roster. So I believe they shut it down on phase three if they don't go after Jared McCoy. And then it's going to be phase four, which is training camp and when they when teams make their final cuts after preseason. Then you could see some roster moves that are happening and maybe some additions at that point in time. But if they don't bring on uh, Gerald McCoy, it, that's the end of phase three. Number four. Fourth down, last opportunity to get seven on the board before we head in for halftime. You and Brock Heward, you guys weren't in love with the energy you saw during the first open OTAs last week. What do you attribute that lack of energy to? Yeah, Brock and I, was we were standing there watching practice, we kept looking at you like, this is not the same energy. This this just feels a lot different than what we're accustomed to. And, and a, a big part of that is you did not have all those alpha competitors out there that you're used to seeing the Doug Baldwins, the Richard Shermans, Earl Thomases, Cam Chancellors. Those were the guys that brought the energy every single day in practice. Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. Those guys weren't practicing. There was about a third of the third of your team that wasn't out there practicing on that open media day. Uh, and a lot of those guys, your starters. And so I believe that that was probably a massive reason why the energy was low there wasn't as much chirping there wasn't as much competition energy that we're used to feeling from the Seahawks Uh, and and honestly the guy who you felt the most out there was Bobby Wagner and he wasn't practicing he was the guy that was the most vocal chirping talking trash Uh, 
and and that's not what you want ultimately. You want those younger guys to uh, feel like they can compete, that there is fun, that there's energy, but you don't want it to be forced. And so I think it will I think it will come about over time. It was something that took me back, but ultimately I'm not worried and concerned about it. Uh, for this 2019 season. That is another edition of Four Down Territories. We punch it in for seven. I mean, that's that's just what we do here on Seattle Sports at Night. That's right. It ain't no thing. I mean, <laughs> if there's seven points out there to be had, it's ours for the taking. Uh, third question was about Gerald McCoy. Uh, do you feel disappointed you didn't listen to your, your sage advice last night, your recruiting pitch? Yeah, I, I do, honestly. I, I really thought that he would have listened and you came really out taken that heart. for account. Yeah, I, I poured my heart and soul into it. But it looks like the Seahawks, it, it doesn't matter. if Even if Gerald McCoy had interest in the Seahawks, it doesn't seem like they're pursuing him heavily right now. He, the Seahawks are nowhere near to be heard in terms of the potential landing spots for him as of right now. Could it have been my back and forth with the Tampa Bay area? Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't want to go there, Curtis, yeah. but yeah, you talking trash to the Tampa Bay number last night. Could have easily been Gerald McCoy. I think what he was doing was trying to get a pulse on the sports radio market out mm, here. That's and the first thing athletes should be doing. Absolutely. Picking out a new and, and you came back. Hard, I did, and and so probably scared him away. So I'm going to blame you a hundred percent for that. I'll take. I that. hope you're ready for I'll it. I'll take that. Yeah, you come in, my guy, Guy Fieri. I'm going to come back at you. <laughs> he had it hard. He had it coming to him. He did. He absolutely did. Coming up <laughs> in our second hour at 8:45, we need your questions on the Coors Light text line for Ask Us Anything. We'll tell. We'll take a look at the Mariners. They need to be active near the trade deadline. But are the most obvious names the ones who will be dealt? But coming up next, OTAs in full swing again today. What makes those different than minicamp or training camp? Luckily, we've got somebody here who went through OTAs. It's not me. It's Jake. I mean, I think no, I, yeah. come on. Come on. Give yourself some credit, <laughs> yeah, Curtis. So you what, snuck your way onto OTAs for a couple days. Snuck my way onto the field before security tackled me. I think everybody missed that waiver wire transaction. Yeah, uh, even I did. <laughs> But that is coming up next year on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.